0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn.
2: This week on Meetin and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the
0: future of borders and automation.
2: If you're a banana, you know,
0: it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion.
3: They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web.
2: Tune in to and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup,
0: wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't, don't shun the, the, the devil with your
1: rock and roll load. Knows, knows that country music's is going to save your soul. Oh, the bamboo oh. buns is groomed.
2: Welcome
3: back to the speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Greg, how are you, my friend? Oh, uh, you know, same same as last week, probably same as next week. <laughs> how, about,
2: <laughs> how about you, bud? Uh, yeah, we're just uh, still caught in this sort of loop of uh, time being somewhat meaningless, but still marching on. Um, I am, I'm okay, actually. I'm having a pretty okay couple of days. Uh, I got to do something uh, very fun yesterday, um, and I think uh, getting to do something, yeah, getting to do fun things these days is is uh, few and far like, between. Yeah,
3: well, I remember those being good, but g- g- give me give me a refresher. It's been so long.
2: Yeah, uh, well, a I left the apartment, um, uh, and Ooh. I went to yeah I went to the bar at Amore Margot, which has been dormant, you know, since uh, basically since Christmas Eve. Uh, we did do a Valentine's Day event because uh, you know we wanted to you know make sure people knew that we were still here and still uh, in, intending to be here. Uh, just a quick update on that. We are planning to reopen uh, at, on April 1st at Amore Margo. So uh, we may do some outdoor service prior to that, uh, but uh, uh, but we're not going to open a more Reserve, the new space, until at least April 1st. Um, anyway, went to the bar, met up with a uh, good friend, uh, Nick Bennett, who, you know, have you been watching his uh, Instagram show, Puppet Tavern?
3: Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's been it's been one of the one of the uh, YouTube silver linings of this last, you know, incredibly long year.
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's right. He started a YouTube channel as well. but He started it out on uh, Instagram and it's uh, you can find it there and got a link to the YouTube channels as well. Uh, But it's great. It's it's he has this puppet that was custom made of him some years ago, uh, and now he uses it to make a show. Um, where he uses puppets, to, not just that one, but other ones, to talk about, um, you know, our world, bartending, spirits, booze, drink making, etc. And I've done two with him in the past. Um, I did a one on bitters and one on amaros. Shocker that I was in those episodes. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I, I play the sort of the live character, and then there's puppets all around. Uh, um, but yesterday, he wanted to do another one uh, where we talked about vermouth, and he brought a puppet with him that will I'll put up a photo in those show notes. That a fan of his show made for him uh, has nothing to do with me, but this puppet looks sort of like a brown Oscar the Grouch, you know, kind of hairy and, and weird-looking, big googly eyes. Uh, it's wearing a, an apron like a bartender. On the apron is an I Heart Bitters pin, the pin from my bar, Mori Margot. On the apron is an I'm Just Here for the Drinks pin, uh, the pin from my book. I'm Just Here for the Drinks, uh, and the. Character is wearing a big pair of red horn-rimmed glasses, which of course I'm known for wearing. So basically some fan of Nick's made him a puppet that is effectively me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the fan named it Amaro the Grouch um, Nick's wife is a lawyer and she says we, we can't go with that name so we're going to come up with a different name but we at least introduced the character at the end of the segment yesterday so the character is going to become a, a member of the show the troupe or what have you and uh, and moving forward not yesterday, he only had one line yesterday but moving forward I'll be the voice of whatever this character's name finally comes out to be <laughs>
3: So, so, uh, so you've made shoes, puzzles, uh, locks, and now you're part of a puppet trip. You've had a busy quarantine, Southern.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've uh, pivoted so much. Uh, I'm spinning like a ballerina. I don't pivot. I pirouette. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's charming and funny and stupid, and uh, you know, it just uh, it, it boasts to the creativity of our community uh, during these times of ridiculousness. And I think it's I'm uh, I. I, I, I I don't, he's going to, he couldn't remember the guy's name, but he's going to give me this guy's name. And of course I'm going to reach out to him and thank him profusely for making this puzzle of, or making this uh, a puppet of me. It's pretty,
3: uh, Yeah. Cause I've, flat. I've, I've seen the pictures and I encourage everybody who's listening to also look at the pictures. This ain't a sock puppet folks. This is some like real Sesame street type shit. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it is, it would be yeah. right at home on an actual children's program were it not explicitly, selling alcohol
2: (laughs) uh yeah i mean yeah the whole show in general is that uh you know and he does it just for fun and creativity he doesn't monetize it in any way but it's they're great they're really well uh, put together he's uh, learning a lot about you know uh editing and and that sort of thing and uh, he their scripts you know it's 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 a serious endeavor for him even though it's uh just for creative outlet creative release um super fun so yeah check out uh Nick Bennett he's on instagram at the Nick b uh and then also uh you can search for the hashtag puppet tavern um and check him out on youtube as well it's really really charming and fun and there's about i don't know it looks like there's about fifteen seventeen episodes up now
3: it has been one of the the you know we're all we're all desperately searching for silver linings here. Uh it, it has been one of the nice things to see is everyone kind of, you know, branch out and do their own things in this in this time, whether it's, you know, I mean, uh, shout out to to Blake and his business partner for doing day and uh, night cocktails.
2: Yeah. Blake, um, uh, Blake Walker and Sean Johnson, two former yeah, yeah. Amoria Margo. Nick Bennett, also former Amoria Margo. Maybe it's Amoria Margot. <clears throat>
3: <laughs> yeah, you're just, you're just an incubator for weird stuff that other people go out there and do when, when mean, hard times hit uh, Lindsay Madison,
2: formerly of Amori Margo, she put out a, a book that she self-published that's a bunch of art uh, uh, connected to cocktail recipes um, Yeah, the team, they're out there, they're
3: doing it That's awesome, man uh, but, yeah, it's it's just it is nice to see people say, OK, you know, the, what am I what am I going to do with this time? How am I going to use this to to explore that I haven't had the chance to explore before? And I, I've i thought that's been kind of cool. It's been really fun to, to see all these other things. You know, my uh, Will Wyatt, who was on the show last summer, mm-hmm. God, almost a year ago now, is uh, yeah. now running a burrito pop up. I knew the guy could make a drink. Uh, I don't know what's in this orange sauce that he puts on his burritos, but I want to be able to buy it by the gallon. So it's cool seeing all of these little hidden talents that everyone's been uh, giving some time to incubate. Um, and there we go. That's your silver lining yeah. for the week, everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> the good Mr. news Positive hour of Greg here. and Souther starts right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so uh, again- Someone's got to do it, man. I want to back that up and say, yeah, I, I'm excited to see the things that people are out there doing. Um, You know, but I'm not surprised in any way. You know, uh, I think Mm, our uh, personality type to be in our field uh, dictates that we are somewhat, um, you know, uh, extroverted and maybe a little bit alpha and definitely, definitely, definitely creative. So uh, it's not a shock to me to see people um, explore creativity to generate interest, uh, just to do it to have an outlet or to even generate uh, income. So I'm, I'm happy to see it.
3: Absolutely, we're we're a creative, restless breed. We can't sit still for very long before we have an urge to do some something, anything, you know, whether it's something yeah. old or reinventing something new. And speaking of <laughs> taking something old Great and reinventing segue. it into something new, thank <laughs> you, segue. thank you.
4: That's, that's a good I'm one. <laughs> patting
3: myself on the back for it right now. Uh, who who do we have in the studio with us today, Sother?
2: Uh, we got Freddie No with us uh, here uh, from Booker, uh, sorry from Beam, uh, and he's going to talk to us. Uh, he's about being the eighth generation distiller at, at Jim Beam, uh, and and not only standing next to the tradition and legacy that 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 uh, brand upholds, but also innovating and creating new things. So, Freddie, so so thankful for your time. Thanks for being here with us.
4: Yeah, guys, glad to be here and excited to, to share some of the the inner workings of. Uh, kind of innovation, as you said, and touched on and, and kind of what my day to day is and and kind of representing this this long lineage of, of urban history. So excited to be here and, and uh, glad it worked out that I could join.
2: Hey, thanks so much. Are, uh, you, you told us off the air that you're sitting in your uh, your dad's uh, uh, man cave of a garage. Uh, are you sipping on something <laughs> nice? Right? Uh, are you sitting on something? Wait, are you sipping on something nice while you chat with us?
4: Actually, I am. So I'm. I'm sipping on some Knob Creek Rye. Um, we had done a little bit of a packaging update on the Knob Creek line, and I had done a tasting last week with the new packaging and showed it off to some of our, uh, our team. And so it, it was sitting here, and it was the first one in the line on the on the bar as I came in, and I thought, you know what, that sounds good. So I'm having a Knob Creek Rye. <laughs> Uh, spoiled for choice. I, I'm sure you're spoiled for
2: choice in that environment. Um, <laughs> you're like the first one of many, many on the on the bar here. I'm just going to grab the first one. Um, talk to us a little bit about the fact that you are eighth generation in this position with this company. Um, is that something that you feel you were, uh, I, I don't want to say forced, but it, because of being, okay, well, you know, dad was seven. Am I going to take up the mantle? You know, or, or like mm-hmm. wh- where does that fall in you know you're obviously you're slated to be in the family business in some way how does
4: that how does that work yeah you know i mean i guess what's cool is growing up you know people say when did you realize what jim beam was as a not just you know as your great great grandfather but but as a you know as a whiskey or as a person that made this this real famous or world famous whiskey and and, you know i don't really have an answer of when it kind of clicked that scenario you know and I, I really like that because much like my dad, we grew up as as children, you know, normal children. I, I always joke and say, you know, what they, somebody said, what's it like growing up, uh, Jim Beam's great great grandson? I said, it's just a normal life. We we tend to host a little bit more parties, and everybody laughs because uh, they think you know big party, but really what we we hosted dinners with a lot of our sales folks for thank yous, um, whether they're meeting their their sales numbers or whatever. So we would host these dinners and and still do uh, to give thanks and to give them a little bit deeper dive into what it means to, to be a part of the beam family. And so, you know, I just, like I said, I thought we just had a little bit, a few more parties than than the rest of my friends did until I got to be a teenager, you know, around that time I knew what, what Jim beam was. Uh, But it was never pressure to come in the industry. You know, that's, that's my point of, of it was a childhood. Um, And even my dad, when we, when I talked to him about it, there's was the same way my granddaddy did it, you know. And a lot of that stems from granddaddy saying to me and to dad, and dad as well, you know, it's your ride, which means it's your life. You know, you got to be happy in what you do. And, you know, yeah, there's, you know, for instance, for me, there's seven generations that came before me. But, you know, when my grandfather was close to passing. He said, you know, there's a great opportunity there. You know, there's a lot of tradition, and I know you'll learn about it. You know, you're a very curious person. Uh, but if it's not in your heart, you know, don't feel obligated to work there. Do what what's what's in your heart and what makes you happy. And every generation before you will will be okay with it. So it, it's just you know, and that's the same way I treat you with my kids. Is it's there if you want it right now. If you want to come with me, you can go any day, any time. Um, you know, and if you don't ever want to go, that's fine um, as well. You know, it, it's your childhood. You know, you, you you let it be a part of. there's certain things like the milestone barrels when we fill. like last year's 16 millionth uh, was pretty cool it was the first one that my you know my son booker uh frederick booker no the fifth he was about a year a little over a year old Uh, so it was really the first one he was seen and my and my daughter braley was there with us Uh, she's 12 and so you know it was really the first one that that my my kind of whole family now was a part of and so you know, Braley was excited to be there, and obviously Booker didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> you know, just things like that I will kind of, if, if she was to say no, she didn't want to, I'd probably urge her to come with me because I remember those, and I remember hating to go to, like, that barrel field because I had to dress up. You know, I had to look nice. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's a, there's a couple of photos I'm looking at right now here in this garage of of me and, and granddad, my grandmother, Annis, and, and my mom and dad standing by the, I think it's the, Looks like the the ten millionth or maybe nine million. I can't tell there, um, but either way, you know it, that's a fond memory for me now. I remember that day and 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 just thinking back of the the times I had with them. It, it's it's fun. So I hope that you know she she doesn't think of it as a bear forever. You know, sure. <laughs> I mean. I Thanks re- for for having it there. I would relate that to, you
2: know, any, any set of photos that are on the walls around my grandfather's house. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's just our own personal family history. It's just that your personal family history happens to also sort of touch literally millions of people around the world. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah. like the, it's like the macro and the micro
4: view of the same situation, right? Yeah, you know, I'm excited to share the story. And people are like, man, you, you know, you're so passionate. and You've got so much. Um, you know, so many stories. And I'm like, I'm just excited that there's people sitting around listening to me tell them, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of cool. But I think, you know, coming from that this line where I said, you know, when you kind of get to a place where you do understand what Jim Beam is, the person, you know, kind of what he did and then why the brand is kind of named after him. You know, I, I became extremely curious about what, you know, what were the, what, what were these folks doing? You know, were they, I just kind of imagined them being like my granddaddy because that's what he did, you know? But so the more I read about them as I got a little bit older, you know, in American still life book that was wrote about our family. Um, I, I read some of that when I was about to graduate high school and just, you know, understanding where these people starting to try to understand where these people were, were coming from. And, you know, it's just so crazy to think that, this family has stuck at this industry or been such a key piece, uh, whether it be the, the, you know, the kind of revamp after prohibition uh, with Jim beam or, or, you know, Jacob who started it in 1795 for us just coming here to Kentucky on a land grant uh, from, from the U S government to, to grow corn. And he ran a, a grain mill. And, you know, at that time, distilling was essentially a farm task, you know, everybody from talking with my grandfather Everybody had a still. He said everybody carried a still on their back, which meant they had a small still, And, you know, if they had excess grain, they'd, they'd distill it. So, um, you know, just thinking he come here with the, the idea of just moving his family here uh, and starting a new life. His father passed away when he was six and at 29 years old. So I'm sure he probably thought his life was going to be short and he wanted to set some roots for his family. And, you know, geez, you know, what, what would Jacob say today? You know, we're thinking – Two hundred and here we are, two hundred and twenty sixth year. I guess you would say, as we've kind of got in here. So, um, yeah, you know, it's uh, for me. It was I became very curious about those those folks and what they did. Then, when you start understanding the tie to the industry and um, how that has had an impact, or you know, how our family has had an impact on the industry and vice versa, the industry on our family. Um, it, it, it it starts to become such a, a proud moment when you when you understand those things and um, I guess my grandfather Booker passed when I was sixteen. I would say that's probably when I it really grabbed my attention that this was something I was interested in uh, because so many people came to his wake and and talked about the the impact that he had on on their life. Um, or that my family's whiskey had had on their life, you know, through providing for their family, and, and it's such a fun place to work. You know, I just heard so much about about this. You know, I, I I knew there was something that I wanted to at least fill out. You know, so that's kind of where it started um, for me it, it, at, at sixteen. Was just you know knowing there was a lot there to to, to learn because uh, Granddaddy had told me that you know he, he, one of his things was if you go in that distillery. And you don't learn something every day. It's your own damn fault, boy. And I thought, damn, that's a, you know, that's a long, you know, I'm thinking I go to school. I'm like, I want to kind of get away from the learning side of things. You know, I want to do some action, I guess. I don't, you know, I didn't know, but, you know, now I, I see that and it's true. It's there for you to learn it. You know, if, if you want to run and, you know, on a daily basis, we're, we're making some of the world's finest whiskey, you know, Jim Beam, Knob Creek, Booker's, Baker's. Uh, but other times, you know, if you, you get a wild hair, you got the opportunity to, to learn And and by, by making tweaks to the system, you learn more about your craft. And at that same time, you may learn more about how to, how to create a product that is um, something someone else enjoys, you know, create, expanding um, the whiskey following and, as you look at it that's kind of what our family's done over time we kind of you know we we've been at it for a long time like I said two hundred twenty six years and um, at, at every kind of critical juncture in the industry there's a beam family member there to kind of help uh, usher it to the next you know and uh, it's it's great to be able to to I, I love it because like for for instance googling your your family. <laughs> tree. Mine is extensively deep and easily accessible. You know, uh, my wife and I looked at it and tried to, to do some research on her side of the family. And there's just not a lot of, of stuff that's out there because it's it's got to be fed in by somebody and right. know that there's so many people out there that have an interest in this and that our family, you know, not just my direct descent, it's just the beam name itself as well as, as it mean I take a lot of pride in being a representative of that as well. I mean, it's an alluring and captivating story to the outsider, to me, to
2: Greg. I'm sure to our mm-hmm. listeners, uh, to be uh, immersed in it. There seems like it's there's it's a gravity that's going to pull you uh, in such a way that you're not going to be able to deny it. Um, no, it so you. So it, it, in, in my notes exactly here,
4: right.
2: yeah, in my notes here it says you you joined the distillery team in 2013, um, mm-hmm. not not quite that long ago. Does that mean you were uh, uh, some other capacity, or that's when you first stepped into any that's kind of work? That's
4: when I rock? first. Stepped into any well, I had done two internships before that, spending uh, four months in Chicago uh, doing a marketing internship, and then I also spent um, about f- roughly three months, I'd say, um, in operations the summer prior to my graduation. So that's when I graduated was December of of 2012, and then I started January 7th of 2013 and that's so that was my official first date but I had been around the distillery you know I was very close with the manager at the time Tommy Croom who um, had worked with my grandfather worked with my dad obviously and then um, it's kind of funny when I was officially moved to supervisor in the distillery was his that Monday was his last Monday he was retiring on Friday so it was kind of like (laughs) a handing of the baton and and he had told me, you know, you'll you'll do just fine. And I, you know, I've worked with you a little bit um, here and there, and then you know, in your time down here, when I was, you know, doing those internships, he said, I know you've got the eye like your granddad. I'm I'm proud to kind of hand it over to you. So um, it was a good good feeling for me, and that was in 2014. Uh, so I had spent roughly two, a little bit over, I guess, over two years going around each department from, I started in the distillery, spent six months. And then the rest of that kind of two year span there, I went around from bottling, processing, receiving, shipping, uh, warehousing, uh, and just literally learning everything there was to learn about the operation from, I mean, literally from the grain coming in the door to the boxes going out the door. And, Really, I I I'm very I wish everybody could do. That. I say that if when we get new hired uh, people in management, they say, "What's something that you would impl- imply or you know implement if you could could do it?" And I said, "I would make every person that gets hired here spend a certain amount of time learning this entire thing because there's a lot of intrigue, like you say, um, for me being a part of it." And then when you get into it, there's so much to learn and the, the inner workings of how all of it kind of flows together and how there is kind of like this kind of family feeling, especially how we've built it at, at Beam between all the departments and, and the, the whole group. It, it really just draws you in. Um, and so then from that point, I, I moved into, um, into bottling for a little while and then went to the supervisor in the distillery right there after I did that rotation. Um, and, and basically from that point, I've I've been involved in, uh, you know, supervising uh, the on-shift operators. Uh, we are a union environment um, through, I ran, I was a fermentation coordinator or excuse me, a manager that we created fermentation manager kind of oversaw both processes at our two distilleries and tried to bring the processes closer together. And that kind of morphed in about that time was when Little Book started uh, coming, coming together. And so I, my role kind of morphed into eighth generation distiller where I kept the role of, of you know, kind of keeper of the, of the knowledge between the two distilleries and, uh, trying to uphold the, the beam family quality, you know, and, and then kind of a little more forward facing role, which, which kind of gets me to to getting with you guys and working on innovation and, Um, spending more time out there telling some of these stories and, and showing people that there's a family behind this, these family of brands, you know, some of the ones I named earlier. Yeah. I mean,
2: that to me sounds fascinating to, to move through the entire place and see each of the, um, you know, different aspects of operation uh, certainly probably gave you the opportunity to focus in on what it is you kind of really wanted to do, or maybe even it showed you where your talent really lay. So let's take a break real quick and, hear from our sponsors here at uh, uh, Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we're going to come back and keep talking with Freddie No, eighth generation of uh, the Beam uh, brand. Uh, so Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: Just Egg is now the fastest-growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated saturated fat and it's more sustainable just egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions most importantly it's delicious for our listeners who operate a food service establishment you can get a sample for free head to ju.st/hrn that's ju.st/hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and french toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andre's calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appétit says it's so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st/hrm
3: And we are back. You are listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we are talking with eighth-generation Beam distiller Freddie No. Uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about getting you learning the ropes about every aspect of the family business in the distillery. It sounds like you know the place inside and out. And now, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, you sort of putting your own stamp on it. You looking at it and saying, "Okay, this is this is the part of this that I'm really." interested in this is where i think i can really make a contribution to this legacy and and currently it sounds like that's manifesting itself as little book so talk to us a little bit about that and and first of all what what little book even is
4: yeah you know honestly little book kind of stemmed from from that time you know where i got to learn everything i spent time with our r d department and they kind of tasked me with with coming up with a couple prototype liquids you know i worked with them on projects while i was there but given the fact i was just there for a short period of time they weren't going to dump a project on me and have me learn the system of of doing all the the paperwork and all that jazz so they kind of let me be a liaison on the projects and then kind of tasked me to kind of pitch to them as if i had a project but that skipped all the kind of paperwork part of it so so i you know that they told me that at the beginning and i had i don't even know where it come from but really it's kind of funny. I shared it with a couple of new folks that are working on our product development team. I said, you know, there's no bad idea in my opinion. I can tell you that when we get to the end of it, we may not want to trial it right now. It might not be a fit for us uh, currently, but I don't think there's a bad idea when it comes to trying to expand the palette of flavor that's available for whiskey. And I think American whiskey and the use of many different grains as the, as the best opportunity to kind of expand that portfolio and really start to tell a deeper, broader story about whiskey. Um, and I said, you know, I say that because, you know, when I was younger, the word blending in in, in bourbon, you know, it, it went to a bad connotation, a bad note, you know, people associated that with neutral spirits and, and caramel colorings. I think we're but, still.
2: I think we're still battling that a little bit. You know, the average I agree. consumer. I would agree. The average consumer still considers the word blending on any bottle of whiskey, American or otherwise, to somewhat carry a, a, a an air of lesser. And I, I don't. I think we need to get get a better ed-
4: education out there. So glad to hear you touching the, on that. Yeah, that's the point of what Little Book is. Was really to show people there's more to American whiskey than just bourbon, and that. That by taking these different liquid streams, you can expand this, this horizon and this portfolio, you know, this portfolio I'm saying is American whiskey and obviously our portfolio at Beam as well. Uh, But so, like I say, I told these, these folks, this, this notion of Little Book, that's, uh, you know, this class A blend literally came from me learning the distillery and saying, what would you do if you took corn whiskey, rye whiskey and malt whiskey blended them together to the percentage of the Jim Beam mash bill and, and, and they were aged four years old. Would, you know, would it taste like bourbon? Would it taste like Jim Beam? And that's really where it started was just as I was learning the distillery, I don't even know. I I think I was, is before I was even in, in the distillery just me reading books and learning about making whiskey I thought, you know, you do this before, but what if you made these whiskeys and then you bring them together afterwards? Is it the same thing? Am I, you know, I, I, I could see if I said that to my dad at that time, him thinking, boy, you're looking at this thing all wrong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's uh, so in reality, I, 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 I kind of house that thought, and at some point during this internship, or not, I guess not internship. It was when I was. I call it internship because it was kind of, like I said, a short stint with with research and development. Uh, but during that time there, as, uh, this this idea came back to my brain. And luckily, we had some four-year-old of each of those whiskey. You know, we did some experimentation with malt whiskey just to see how it would run on our column still, is essentially where it initiated. Um, we had brow whiskey, obviously, and we had corn whiskey um, as well. And so that's what I created was a, prototype of of a blend versus going at it from the the you know grain bill style it was not that good um you know obviously our rye whiskey has a, a good percentage of corn in it um the corn whiskey 80 percent corn so and at four years old you know you're not getting a load of flavor from the barrel just yet you know you i think you're still two years removed from a lot of good character so a lot of the grain character still holds true at four for me and so it was just a very corn forward, almost corn whiskey blend is kind of what it landed at. Uh, but I cut it to 80 proof and I called it Jim being blended. And that was kind of the, the pitch to him. Um, like I, think, I said, it wasn't very good, so that idea got housed pretty quickly in the back <laughs> of my head again.
2: But I think I think what you're really describing here is that curiosity is sort of the genesis of innovation, right? If you hadn't have been curious enough to say to yourself, "Well, we can put these things, all three of them, together in in the in the still and bring them out, and then rest them in a barrel for four years," can we put these three things separately and let them rest for four years and then blend them? Will we have the same thing? Right? It seems like a, a pretty uh, solidly founded you know, somewhat scientifically minded question uh, that that led you somewhere that maybe you didn't expect to wind up, but it certainly then opened the door for you to say, well, okay, now I know what that did. So how can I use
4: that information? Absolutely. Well, you know, at that time it was, you know, I guess 20, probably it was 2014 for that. It was, that was the last place I went before I moved on to supervision. Um, with that, you know, it gave me the opportunity, at least, to think that what I was initially thinking was wrong. But I was still thinking, you know, I want to make this right. You know that that's what my dad said. Why I'm, I'm partially why I'm so good is I'm very curious, uh, and and I, and I won't take no for an answer. If you tell me I can't, he said. If I told you you couldn't run through that brick wall, you'd stand here until you ran through that brick wall. He said that when <laughs> I was a kid a lot. You know. <laughs>
2: Sure, Cur- uh, but I curious, think it translated well. Curious, to, curious and stubborn is a great combination. <laughs> I,
4: I think so. If you're looking to to, you know, like I said, if you're trying to expand Whiskey Horizon, if you're trying to to share more with the world, you know, I think that's that's a lot of what I look to do. Is I'm anxious to see what what kind of other things can be created, um, and and yeah, so that's kind of what led me to little book and that curiosity. At first, you're know, like, you're going to have a different. Different uh, blend every year. It was, you know, people thought it was kind of daunting as well. You know, you're going to run out of ideas. And I just, you know, I kind of, and it's still to this day, it's how I do it. I, I let the whiskey do the talking. You know, I look through our inventories. Um, I've spent time at other distilleries within Beam Suntory. You know, we have Canadian whiskey distillers. Obviously, it's uh, with the Suntory name, we have Japanese whiskey distilleries. Uh, we have tequila, we have rum. Um, so I've spent time at some of these distilleries and I've interjected, you know, Canadian whiskey in little book chapter two. Um, and I've got thoughts to to bring others in down the road as well. And, and, um, but a lot of it is let the whiskey do the talk. And that's the big thing you, if you said in a lot of our product development meetings, you would hear me say, I like to try to draw some conclusions and get them on paper. That way we kind of it's really, it's hypothesis. You know, you look at it and then you see where it lands. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I like to, I like to let the whiskey do the talking. And when, you know, for instance, I just finished up the next chapter of Little Book, which will be coming out uh, you know, here in, in September. And and that one was one, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I keep the, I keep the lips kind of sealed till we get to certain places in the projects, just because things can change. But I'm excited to tell this story because there is a big kind of i would say big but there there's a good showcase of how letting the whiskey kind of guide you in my in my opinion for little book chapter five that uh, that really I think uh, people people will hopefully draw them to a better term to blending you know, going back to our thought of the, that that's what little book kind of set out to do was expand the, the the flavor profile of american whiskey but also uh, to, to fill that role as well to, to, to bring blending to the top I, I should say that it doesn't have to be about grain neutral spirits that i guess what i've come to see is that the class a blend is what you would call it where it's straight spirits being blended or straight whiskeys in a lot of in, in little books cases
2: sure talk to us a little bit more about little book uh, you, you mentioned chapter five. You're, you're releasing it as chapters. How often does a chapter come out? What do, what do the chapters mean?
4: Um, so, so we do, we're doing one chapter a year. And essentially it's the, at, at first it was the only project I was kind of leading. Um, we'll talk to to kind of, you know, here lately I've, I've been working a little bit more on some other brands as well, on some of the limited offerings. and um, but, but generally, like I said, Little Book was the, the, the first um, brand that I kind of had it. And it, it is my own there. Little book is the the nickname that my grandfather Booker gave me when I was a kid. So it's, it's a family nickname that's stuck for, for quite a while. And, you know, it, it, the name came after we were doing some work on the whiskey. And then the more I started thinking about it, if I'm going to be doing some blending and something, you know, bringing this new kind of new way into to beam, I guess, to, to look at whiskey and to taste whiskey differently. Um, it needed to be at cast strength. I I felt because a lot of what my granddad said was that's the way whiskey used to be. And in his eyes, the way it was meant to be, um, and what he meant by that is people used to come to the distillery and fill up their quart jug there right at the, at the distillery. And it came straight from the barrel. We didn't cut it to bottling strength or any of that.
2: Right. With the, with the old tub, right? That's what
4: bourbon was all about, was kind of getting back to the, to the, the, you know, the roots of bourbon. Uh, barrel strength was the first, you know, barrel strength bourbon. Um, you know, it, it was creating small batch, which was at that time unheard of as well. And now you see small batch went from something that we called the collection of Booker's Bakers, um, Basil Hayden and Knob Creek. Now that's a whole segment in the entire industry. So, um, you know, it just, it's another way of of expanding that. And I think getting, getting it at cash strength for Little Book was especially uh, key for me once I started to think about it and then, Someone in our packaging group said, "Hey, that was your, your your nickname by your grandfather. What if you just call it Little Book?" And it just instantly stuck with everybody on the team, and so that's where you see the name Little Book come from. Um, and and really, as I said before, that the the premise of it is exploring whiskey. You know, I'm, I've got a very curious mind uh, when it comes to the distillery and when it comes to looking at barrels in the warehouse, and. Uh, so, little book is that kind of place for me to kind of let the world look under the hood at some of the things that I'm keen to or or come to like through just blending and and spending time with some of our blending team and and product development. And so you'll see the you know the first chapter, as I said, it comes out once a year. And so at first it wasn't chapter; we just called it little book, uh, the easy. And I thought it was a very easy sipper for a 128. 128- proof and a blend. And there was a kind of a rendition on that uh, blend that I just told you guys about from my R&D time. It was actually a blend of four-year-old Jim Beam at cash Strength blended with 13-year-old corn whiskey. So again, you're taking down a little bit of that kind of grainy note from the corn whiskey. I mean, at 13 years old, that's almost unheard of in corn whiskey terms, to be honest. Um, a six-year-old one hundred percent distillers malt, uh, malted whiskey. So again, a little more age, getting, uh, getting, you know, uh, some different characters developing, and then a six year old. And I know we had a Booker's rye release, uh, which was a higher rye than our normal rye, um, and it essentially. Uh, we re-ran this and I used a six-year-old version of it. So you see less corn in that. So again, I was trying to pull away from that inspiration or my, you know, my initial thought, pull away from that, that brunt of corn that was coming through. And I, I really liked where chapter one landed. I thought it was a great representation of a blended bourbon. And that's kind of what I went to calling it as I was speaking about it. From there I went and I used some kind of went more of a rye whiskey note. Um, pulling out some fruity, some estuary, some floral notes with chapter two. And I used our eight-year-old Kentucky straight rye um, with 40-year-old, uh, 40, excuse me, 40-year-old uh, Canadian whiskey that was uh, corn-based, so a, kind of close to a bourbon mash bill. And then also a 13-year-old um, rye whiskey that was aged in a uh, recharred barrel. So again, pulling a little more flavor from the barrel, but also getting some inspiration from some of this, some great whiskey I tasted while I was in Canada at our our sister distillery in Alberta. So it kind of took you, and that one was called No Simple Task. I went through 54 different kind of prototypes before I got to narrowing. And I was a little bit worried. You know, I thought the first one went great. This one was taking a little bit longer than I was expecting. And yeah, so it got No Simple Task. Uh, as, as the title. And the third one was called The Road Home, which was kind of coincidentally the year my son was born. Um, we were looking at kicking off this craft distillery build. Um, so my, my boss had said, hey, you know, take some time, spend it with your family in the fall. I didn't do a, a kind of, I usually kind of run around the country and promote Little Book during the fall time uh, to tell the story and, and do deconstructed tastings of the blend. And uh, so I didn't do that for this chapter. we actually brought some some writers down to the distillery. So they came to my my home versus me going around. Um, so that one and that was a blend of that small batch collection. And so it was very fitting to be called the road home. You know, it was a it was the first bourbon blend, actual bourbon blend of the series. And those whiskeys mean a lot to me. You know, Knob Creek, Basil, Booker's, Baker's. My dad's been a long time of his career promoting those brands and, and obviously my grandfather uh, crafted them. So there's just, and I really like how that one landed as well. Um, and then the last one lessons honored, you know, everyone compares me a lot to my grandfather. Uh, but if it wasn't for my dad, you know, I never spent a day working with my grandfather. If it wasn't for my dad and him kind of fielding my crazy off the wall questions and and guiding me in places or, or, or in more, more often than not, letting me kind of run free with my thoughts and 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 trusting me that I, you know, had some some good thought behind what I was doing, um, and then bouncing those things and saying, you know, what would Granddaddy say about about this, or what did he say when he talked about that, um, you know? So to me, Chapter Four was was uh, called Lessons Honored, and it was the lessons of honor for my dad. You know, it wasn't for my grandfather on this one. You know, the brand is kind of an honor to my grandfather and our connection. This batch was, uh, I let my dad work on selecting um, one of the, one of the whiskeys for it. Uh, So he chose a seven year old uh, Kentucky straight bourbon, which ended up being a Knob Creek variant. So Knob Creek has has sometimes been claimed to be his favorite from time to time. Uh, Typically we don't say we have favorites because we we do. (laughs) and and Both of us really do kind of rotate (laughs) around the brands and drink each of them. Sure. Um, but so this was a blend of, of his favorite, which was that one, that seven-year-old version of Knob Creek and an eight-year-old high rye, which is represents that actual, that, that Booker's rye Mashville again, uh, which is one that him and I worked on together. Um, and then the last one was a four-year-old brown rice bourbon, which is kind of cool because it's actually the first project that he kind of let me run the reins on. He was traveling. And they wanted somebody to go visit the brown rice fields and, and understand more about what we might be developing from this, this, this grain. And so it's, that's the the third of those three. And so, like I say, it's all about kind of that connection with my dad and the, the three whiskeys used, they worked very well together. And it came together that I, you know, I had the, the, that thought of doing an honor for my father in my head. And then, as I said, I let these whiskeys and I started working and we started blending and then I started seeing, well, this brown rice does really well with with this high rye. I said, wonder, and so we started putting some some bourbon in it. And I said, well, I'm going to let my dad pick what what this final one is, and I'll just do the diligence of making sure that these I find the best version of these three whiskeys. And and it's so so cool how it all fell together. And um, so you know that that as you see, it tells personal story. It, I look at Little Book as maybe a chapter. Each chapter represents pieces of, of my whiskey journey, whether that's, as I said before, you know, whiskey is such a part of my life and, and our family has been such a part of whiskey. They're so intertwined that, you know, I, I think it's important that you hear some of the personal side of it, that you learn a little bit maybe about, you know, you learn that I am curious about whiskey and travel to Canada. You know, I tell you guys, I've been to, to Japan twice since that time frame to to learn Japanese whiskey. Um, you know, it's telling you a little bit about me telling you personal stories of the connections I had with my, my family, you know, my dad and grandfather. And I'm sure maybe it'll tell you some stories about some of my coworkers, you know, maybe my mom, my wife, who knows, um, you know, (laughs) my kids even, you know, or it may go back more into process. But I think what, you know, what I'd like for everyone to know is that the whiskey is kind of guiding this journey. And then hopefully I've got a story to tell through the whiskey and, and I'll share it with the world each, each year.
2: I mean, it sounds incredible. And uh, I'm going to, uh, definitely get my, well, as, as life comes back to, to, to back to life here in New York, I'm going to get myself a couple of bottles. Um, how much of this, uh, how much of each chapter do you produce each year?
4: So it's a very limited run. It's about half the size of a batch of, of bookers, um, you know, we don't talk a lot about the case volumes and such. So, you know, with, with Booker's being small batch, you, you can assume that it's much smaller than, than our batches of Jim Beam, and then this is a half a size of that. And, and really, I guess the, the premise of that is is that I want this to be something that, you know, the each story gets its time. And so by releasing it in the August timeframe, it kind of gets its own rollout. And then my goal is that it kind of is hopefully off-shelves uh, by Christmas time, you know, it, it'd be a great gift as well. Uh, but then it gives that time, you know, there, you see, you see it, you could probably find it in stores now, definitely. But I guess the, the large percentage of it is, is during that time frame, And it leads, lets each batch kind of have its own life, um, before the next one's sitting there beside it. That's, that's
2: I think that's brilliant, uh, on, on both a sort of, uh, intriguing level for the consumer. And also as uh, it sounds like a pretty smart business uh, proposition as well.
4: Well, with that, I think, you know, if you look through the list of whiskeys I ran through there, you know, you, you don't have a surplus of a lot of those right. things, yeah, you know, four, special, 40, special, runs, Canadian. Uh, <laughs> special barrelings, you know, those things don't, don't come in large quantities. So it makes it a little bit easier when you're working in a pretty small batch size as well, to be able to kind of keep the curiosity there you know um, if you started telling me i had to scale it up to a size of a batch of bookers well i would say the the breadth that i would be able to achieve in the short term will would would go down uh, i say not saying the short term because it kind of segues to the craft distillery i've mentioned we're building a smaller scale replica of our claremont distillery um to do some more of this innovation i guess i kind of kind of got people anxious and excited to say hey this guy's got a curious mind what else can he do? And, and, you know, as you all know, whiskey is very high demand right now at time is, is of the essence. So having a facility where we can kind of scale back the, the bookers and the bakers production under my watchful eye, um, as well as these, these kind of innovation mash bills and, and innovation operating techniques, I'll say um, it, it's given us a good facility to go and, and kind of, get deeper into to that curiosity and hopefully it it, it looks to for me it's, it, it looks to be the opportunity for us to expand that american whiskey category um start getting more barrels to to research and hopefully start sharing them with the world you know that that's my thing is i i think there is a whiskey whether it's out there yet or not but i think there's an american whiskey out there for everyone it's just hasn't been found yet and and with that, I, I you know, I'm very curious. My wife laugh laughs at me when I cook because I'll change something every time I'm like, I didn't like that as much. She's like, Well, you said that's the best you had the time before, so why are you messing with it? And I just <laughs> it's always about making it better, yeah, you know, I'm or can it better. be better? And I and so I'm hoping that with Little Book and with this craft distillery, we can get to a place where we really know the kind of width and depth that the American whiskey Category, which is a pretty big one, if you step back from bourbon and rye and American single malt, and um, uh, you know, and then you go deeper into the the, the realms of that. There's different types of, of grains you can use within each of those categories. So, I, I'm excited to really start tapping into that depth and and width, and start telling that story and and having people see and, and, and latch on to maybe some of those flavors, it could bring you closer to some other brands that are already out there, you know? So it's it's a journey. It's a whiskey journey.
3: Yeah, and I and I love that. I think that's yeah. I mean that's that's the that's that's what creativity is, you know? I mean it's it's if you let something fly and just say, "Yeah, that's that's good enough. That'll do." Then, you know, that that's where creativity dies. I love the constant, you know, like this is really good, but I'm going to see what I can do different and see if it makes something maybe maybe better or maybe just takes you in an interesting direction that you'd never thought of before the next time, you know? I think that's it's it's super cool to see that you know, you're an eighth generation steward of this legacy that isn't just resting on the laurels of what's come before. You're, you're constantly trying to see, okay, what, what else can we do? Where else can we explore here? You know?
4: Absolutely. And I think too, you know, tapping back into that curiosity about my, my ancestry and my, my history and learning why the brands that we have on the shelf were created, you know, you find that curiosity and then you find ways that that curiosity can maybe help tell more stories about those brands. Or, or maybe, you know, you find that this thing here probably needs to have its own brand or own story, you know, and that's when it becomes really rich and you really start to kind of change where the trajectory of, of American whiskey sits when you start to, to, to dive out deeper than just fitting within certain parameters. And so I think Hopefully, in the in the near and longer term future, you guys will start to see that, that we'll have some of these releases that that you'll see coming out on on brands as well as uh, coming in into probably new new areas as well as new grains or new barreling opportunities or aging, or even distillation techniques could could change the way we release certain whiskeys. You know, yeah,
2: it's it's a well, fascinating I, world. I can't in it. wait, it's man. Yeah, it's a fascinating world. and It's got plenty of room for exploration and, uh, you know, really very appreciative of you sharing this much story with us today uh, and looking forward to uh, continuing to hear and literally see and definitely taste the story as it moves forward. Um, thanks so much for your time today and for sharing all this stuff about yourself, your family and your and your whiskey. This has been this has been a, one of the more fascinating shows we've done in, in some time. So I really do appreciate you being here, Freddie.
4: Yeah, again, thank you guys. Anytime, be glad to come back and, and we can dive into more and in different pieces. Uh, glad to have the opportunity, you know, as I said uh, before, I, you know, I'm just glad to have the opportunity to have people kind of listen to my family story and be able to share it. I think it's such a great piece of my of my uh, you know job, I guess, you know, is, is kind of spreading that word of the Beam family history. And, and then as you see, hopefully I can bring to life some some whiskey elements that, that help Help enhance that story and and keep people understanding that you know there's been there's been one family that's been around since this industry has started and they're still there helping to kind of usher along and and keep and have that pride in in making whiskey and and keep it going for for generations to come hopefully.
2: I mean, without a doubt, it's, it's here to stay. Um, well, that's it for this week's episode of The Speakeasy. Thank you so much uh, to Fred No from uh, uh, Jim Beam, 8th Generation Beam Distiller. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today uh, and taking us on this journey. It's been fascinating uh, and intriguing. And as is always the case, when the show feels like it went by so quickly, that just means we have to have you back on again. Uh, and I look forward to maybe having an opportunity to travel down there, see the new craft distillery that you're putting together uh, and have a face-to-face interview with you in the future. Um, uh, if we can get that worked out. Um, but uh, that's it for this week's episode of the Speakeasy Team. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, join us again next week uh, and we'll see you soon. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.
1: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll. Load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil his groove in that Rhythm and blues that sing. It's gonna.
2: The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network.
4: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place.